0: You're listening to WERALP, Arlington, Virginia, 96.7 FM, streaming and on demand at WERA.FM.
1: A lot of times uh, maps are used to ground truth.
0: Coming to you from the studios at Arlington Independent Media, I'm your host, Lynn Borton, and this is Choose to be Curious. Welcome. Artist, naturalist Ellen Malloy wrote, In the desert, there is everything... And there is nothing. Stay curious. Know where you are, your biological address. Get to know your neighbors, plants, creatures, who lives there, who died there, who is blessed, cursed, what is absent or in danger or in need of your help. Pay attention to the weather, to what breaks your heart, to what lifts your heart, and write it down. And she wrote, a map, it is said, organizes wonder. I love this idea of organizing wonder, giving ourselves a little structure for the wild and unwieldy vastness of things that capture our imagination, perhaps making it possible for us to sit in the discomfort of our own confusion or ignorance, helping us settle into the pleasures of contemplating the big old world around us. I confess, I also love maps, and I always have. When I was a kid and we lived in Philadelphia, the front hall of our house was adorned with an enormous geological map of Pennsylvania that showed all the rock types and formations across the state. It was gorgeous, nearly psychedelic, and its colors dictated the color scheme of the rest of the house. The map was absolutely part of who we were, who I was, and there were times when I couldn't make it up the stairs without stopping to consider some corner of the state I'd not noticed before. In fact, I've kind of recreated that experience with this beautiful map of the U.S. that covers the wall above my desk at home. All of which is to say, it's no surprise that I would eventually find my way to a show about curiosity and maps. Allison Davis Holland is a cartographer and story map author. Her work has helped inform and clarify some of the nation's biggest challenges everything from access to civil justice, renewable energy, Natural disasters, biodiversity, environmental con- conservation, to how nest boxes create room for native birds and biodiversity in suburban areas like Arlington, Virginia. She hopes to help organizations use maps and story maps to inform, engage, and inspire people. There's a lot of science behind behind how we best digest visual information, she says. And it's always a bit of a dance to what to share and what to leave a mystery. So here to help unfold that mystery is that self-same cartographer, Alison Davis-Holland. Welcome, Alison. Hi, thanks for having me. It's, this is really fun for me. So how did you get into maps? What's the quick origin story? Oh, yeah.
1: So I used to work in environmental consulting and policy, and I found GIS as a way they were trying to figure out a, a site for a radioactive waste facility, which is an awful application in general <laughs> to think about. But the idea was that you could layer things just like you would layer mylar transparency and find an area that would meet all of your requirements.
0: Oh, um, and so I the just, answer lay in the map.
1: Yeah. So I just love the idea that you could use oh. maps as a tool to think, um, not just display. Hmm. So what makes a map a map? This was a good topic that we had in <laughs> grad school. We were trying to um, think through, and, you know, uh, we saw all sorts of examples – Things larger than us, where we obviously think about navigation mm-hmm. um, and being the size that we are, when we were shown maps that were smaller than us, um, people would say, "No, that's a diagram, or that's um, you know something else that's a smaller scale, and that didn't count." But it really matters who's the navigator—are they an ant or a human—and right. so that whole idea of scale and perspective comes in. But I'd say anything that gives you an idea of answering the question of where, and you know, thinking about location. Uh. So. A a lot of the maps now are about data visualization and not just where things are that are static, those physical features that don't move. It's about data that moves and habits and culture and
0: um, So it's behavior. where, but that where could
1: be pretty elastic. Yeah, it could be behavior. It could be how mm. far are you willing to travel to get a cup of coffee, you know, usually couple minutes you go to the closest one Mm -hmm. how far are you willing to travel if you need brain surgery you'll travel across the country (laughs) Uh so it's about finding how long people will travel how people's behavior works um, to get to a place how to make it easy and about seeing what the patterns are in an area learning you know absorbing that data and figuring out oh I wouldn't have seen this if this was a spreadsheet, but now that I see it on the map, I see there's this these, the counties in the northwest all behave this way, and it's much different than this. So you can find hot spots and cold spots right. that are statistically different. So it's a whole bunch of analysis that makes it really exciting.
0: And that goes back to sort of your initial experience of these are sort of overlays. I mean, on the, on the basic terrain, then there's information that we overlay on top of that
1: exactly yeah. so you know with mapping now it's no longer this transparency method um in the last um Fifty years, GIS software, geographic information system software, has grown to be able to think through these problems and do analysis that the human eye couldn't do, and apply statistics and thinking and surface modeling, and data surface modeling. You know, like when you interpolate points, like uh, weather forecasters—they don't sample everywhere on the nation; they sa- they sample certain places. So, what makes a good map? Well, I really like the quote that you picked out because I think a good map leads to more questions and gives you just enough information to keep it interesting. Uh And it used to be that you only had one shot, you had the one map, like you hung up in your home, where you had to express everything. And it was for a really scientific audience that will pour over it for a long period of time. But just like writing for maps, you have a different level of audience, you have an executive decision maker, a legislator that wants to make a decision quickly. And then you have, you know, a medium level decision maker that would spend a little bit more time on something. And um, then you might have the public that also kind of wants to have that quick, but also needs to have it to be more lay speak, you know, layman speak. So having a good map means that you're communicating your, with your audience just like you would communicate with a paper. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have the luxury nowadays of doling out information a little step by step. We have these story maps that are interactive and that flow. A story map is basically an online map. It can be interactive where you click on it and you get pop-ups that tell you information about a feature on the map. Mm-hmm. And because you have that interactivity, you are talking to the map literally it's like a a open the flap book Uh or a change your story book and Uh you can decide what Uh you want to know and zoom in and and have a conversation and the story maps also integrate multimedia you know audio
0: video so you've done a couple of story maps to pick one to describe as an illustration of this
1: oh okay so one that i did was actually for maywood i live in maywood in north arlington and um there's a lot of history in the area and and a lot of the people that I knew when I first moved to the neighborhood twenty years ago were moving to a different retirement place or assisted living or something, and I wanted to capture all these stories. So uh-huh. um, for this for this map. We want. I wanted to collect oral histories, and I'd also wanted to talk about special places in the neighborhood. You know, where homes used to be, where the ice factory was, where the you know first horse-drawn uh, carriages uh, delivered groceries, and uh, and I just things
0: that we would not know about no, the same streets and houses. Yeah, but, and it was getting ah, lost yeah, in these twenty-five
1: yeah. years. So, so you can have story maps that tell us story like an article in the newspaper. But this one I did like a walking tour almost where you have a, a, a starting point, or you can walk through a chronology. Um, so I made two because sometimes just one way is not enough to express an idea. So one walk through the history and what was it like to live there? And you know, did they really come to your door to deliver milk? And you know, what, what were people right. doing in the neighborhood? The and they just <laughs> cut off a cut a christmas tree off across the street down the hill and you know all these kind of good stories that come from um, you know interviewing people
0: so we did that and the the walking tour so we could get a little bit of both ways huh so there's the they're the story maps and then you talk about maps as sort of data visualization talk to me about what that means and what's possible now that wasn't once possible
1: yeah so a lot of the data visualization i mean we've always had maps where you have a different color to mm-hmm. shape to visualize temperature to visualize you know what a county's like what's the population density and you might make a darker color mm-hmm. in the same hue to to say when when there's the highest number of, you know, the population density. So they had some of those, and the example you gave of the geologic map is like a, a choropleth map where you have color right. coding, it means color levels, choropleth. Right. Right. Um, and then, you know, they would, I think that was like the most common map that I've seen where you show physical features or you show some stuff, whereas now you can start to really play with the intersection between charts and data and graphs and Mm. data visualization Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. without being place-based and integrating that into a map environment. So we can do things like um, change the, the size, color, and texture to tell how two variables might be related to each other, how they're correlated, or just simply put information that would be rather dry Reading through a spreadsheet and start mm-hmm. to glean information about how the interplay between char- two different characteristics, you know, how does distance from urban center affect access to um, high speed internet, you know, and you can start to see trends right. and even combine data from different sources. To say, ah, this this warrants more questions. So data visualization can be used for exploratory, exploring your data and figuring out, like, oh, what are the trends? Or answering a specific question.
0: And also, it sounds like sort of being able to figure out what's the relationship between this variable and these places, distances, spaces, in ways that we might not necessarily immediately into it. Right. Like one example that I can think of is we did a map for Alaska.
1: They're a court system to try to understand the communities and their needs and understand how much uh, and what kind of court civil legal cases they mm-hmm. needed. Mm-hmm. And so we had all this data about community and we ended up looking at age and where people were and and gender. And I really wouldn't have said Alaska, I don't know where the gender will be or, mm-hmm. or any of those <laughs> things. But when we looked at it, we realized there were lots of younger men working in the coastline areas that were harder to get to. And there were lots of older and more female in the urban areas so Uh. you know you you wouldn't have known to think about that but it gives you that context by being able to look at multiple variables at the same time and all of a sudden you you can see a you know a large circle for a large number of males in certain color to to say you know how they are on their eight on their age Mm -hmm. and then you can see two three factors at the same time that you wouldn't have quite gotten the the trend across geography Mm. if you
0: just looked at those three columns in a spreadsheet. Right. And you've done a series of maps that do sort of look at those systemic issues. I mean, I think, like, my sort of historic mind thinks of maps in a, it's just about geography and terrain for the most part. Right. Everybody thinks physical maps. Yeah. But you've actually looked at things like the impact on um, Florida civil legal aid and the hurricane. And talk, if you would, quickly about sort of how you map that and what you learn from doing that.
1: Oh, wow, yeah. So for the Florida civil legal aid map, That was something that we, you know, Hurricane Irma came through, kind of hit the whole West Coast really hard, and and, and the whole uh, state was declared a natural disaster area. And so we needed to get a map out really quickly that would help with raising funds for the Florida Bar Foundation. That was our client. And Mm -hmm. I did this work with the Self-Represented Litigation Network, a, Mm -hmm. a a non-profit. We really needed to show... Who was um, vulnerable? Mm-hmm. Who might not necessarily reach out to existing resources? And for for those of you that you know don't n- know what kind of um, help is needed in the in the long run, you know it can take like a decade to recover. And it's not just about rebuilding homes when there's a natural disaster. It's about people's businesses, their their homes, the infrastructure, the normal supply, the ebb and flow of resources. It's all rocked out of sorts. So where um, access to justice comes in is civil legal aid organizations like the Florida Bar Foundation um, oversees a a bunch of grantees that have... um, money to help with civil legal aid and providing attorneys and providing um, help. They need to help them find out where, what resources they're eligible Mm -hmm. for, what money they, or utilize, I should say. So uh, we wanted to make something that would give a metric to who is vulnerable, who might not have neighbors that know the right places to right, go. And it's right. not necessarily your government office, you know, it's these nonprofit organizations. So um, we made the vulnerability index as a way to show these populations on a map. And so we could really have legislators see, have the public see where the people are in need. And we had people like renters um, being shown because a lot of predatory landlord situations will take advantage of that hike and, and increase the um, the rent on their properties. And uh, so we uh, pulled together, you know, um, English as a second language or, you know, other risk factors that would help identify this community. And so they could be sure, the Florida Bar could Foundation could be sure
0: that they got grants to organizations that could help those areas that in were the most important in I was just really struck looking at it and thinking, wow, this is just – so much more instructive than the headlines or the pictures. You know, we get sort of wrapped up in the pictures, right? But we don't know what we're looking at when we look at the picture. Yeah, and when people say demographics, you don't
1: think, ooh, sexy, I want to dive into that. (laughs) And um, what happens is people use the media as a metric for what is the important issue. Right. So, for example, when we had a similar situation when Hurricane Florence came and hit North and South Carolina, um, the media was focusing in, into certain areas, but we didn't really have—they didn't really have a full landscape of who is affected. So we did a similar thing where we collected all of this information about what are the professions, what are the groups, what are the—you uh, know—do you have veterans? Do you have military population? And we learned that you know farmers are hugely affected, but so are the military uh, population mm, mm-hmm. and veterans, and all of these bipartisan. Organize, you know, causes, you know, that that could be universally appealing, and so all of a sudden the the conversation opened up from you know one specific avenue that was the media to, hey, this is actually what's happening. So a lot of times it used to uh, maps are used to ground truth, mm. um, the you know There's what's going line. on. Yeah, yeah. To truth.
0: So do we use maps in ways that we might not even realize? Hmm.
1: I mean, I guess so many people think about navigating with maps and that you use it for ways and that sort of thing. But I think I see a lot of examples, you know, I think of New York Times interactives or in the media, you will see lots of examples of maps. And now there's a lot of online tools where you use maps to learn about an area. The Mm -hmm. Census Bureau has great ones Um, rather than just to navigate you know, uh-huh. it's a whole different thing. Nobody probably has maps in their cars anymore, hard copy. They're you know. hard to find. Yeah, they, they just have, uh, you know, Google Maps and Waze and that sort of thing. Apps. Right.
0: So is there such a thing as map literacy?
1: Definitely. I think it's the idea that you can, I mean, I guess people think about literacy in a few different levels, but just like media literacy, which I'm sure, you know, you're really familiar with, with map literacy, it has to do with understanding how maps are used being able to like critically think through looking at a map and Mm -hmm. not be fooled by information presented the wrong way. So it's a big growth area, not just for young kids, but also adults, uh, you know, attorneys, nonprofits, corporations. It can be easy because it's so slick and digestible to just drink down that map Uh and not say, oh, you know what, they just told me the number of people in that county and so all the big counties or you know the number of gun licenses was one map I saw and so it looks like that big county is dangerous but it's just big or Mm -hmm. dense Mm -hmm. densely populated so you really have to make sure that you present the data like oh maybe number of licenses as a percent of the people or number of licenses per a thousand people so you have to really be able to say what What could be wrong with that map? And that's part of literacy is knowing enough to say, hmm, what could be wrong? Mm. So are maps ever dangerous? Um, Yeah, definitely, because maps can be used to persuade public opinion or be used as propaganda. Mm -hmm. It can be or, you know, like I'm mentioning, putting data wrong, but absorbing information visually can um, make your mind more receptive to new information that conflicts with your worldview. Versus text, it's easier to reject. So that, it can be really powerful, and it behooves people to understand a little bit more about maps. In the Cold War, they used to use the Mercator projection to make Russia look scary and large, because in the Mercator projection, we make the sphere into a flat sheet of paper. Uh, so everything towards the poles is just is enlarged. grossly enlarged. Exactly, right. exactly. So Greenland is huge, Canada is huge, and Russia is huge. And, you know, third developing countries like Africa and different countries along the equator are small. Mm-hmm. So you introduce this bias of, oh, look, they don't matter as much as... Thus, large countries. So, um, mm-hmm. definitely, it can be that um, bias that you don't know how to dissect if you're if you're not kind of literate in how to read, break it apart. It. Yeah. yeah. So,
0: what about GPS and mapping apps? What do you think they've done to our idea of maps, our literacy with maps, or even to kind of bring it back to curiosity? to our curiosity about getting from one place to another. Right,
1: right. This is a big topic between my husband and I all the time <laughs> because he doesn't mind. He he needs to think through, here's my car. I need to turn left and right, which I think a lot of people are in the car. You don't have time mm-hmm. to notice where you are. But I grew up in D.C. and Virginia Beach, and we always grounded ourselves on where things like where the ocean is so it was really obvious east (laughs) ocean you know and so I always grew up with my mental map being more the cardinal directions you know north south east and west Uh and so I think when you start to use an app that tells you where to go. It's really convenient, but you're also turning off a bit of the portion of your brain if you if you're not doing like north up, you know. You're you're turning off a portion of the brain that kind of knows where you are in space, and mm. it's probably a little bit akin to calculators becoming inexpensive and popular, and people stopping to you know to do the basic calculations right, Stopping in to their do brain. the calculations. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. And there's this funny. I think it was Gary Larson this cartoon where it showed a couple in a car debating about. The instructions and following the instructions, and right next to it, you see a map. I mean, a mouse in the maze. You know, <laughs> try being told to navigate the different way, and you realize the parallels are. We're really kind of you know, um, just digesting what they're telling us, and not working that spatial muscle, which can be really strengthened by using it. Like they've done studies in London. Taxi cab drivers have a really amazing sense of direction and spatial ah, yeah, memory. Sure. And, you know,
0: you're just using that portion of your brain a uh, lot, uh-huh. you know. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So if I were curious to see some great maps where might I find some great maps? Oh, there's a lot of good places. My
1: my favorite way to stroll along for maps is to look at the Esri Story Map Gallery. ESRI is um, the number one GIS software creator. And uh, they have the Story Map Gallery. And you can oh, go just through... just sort of stroll
0: through. Oh, and- yeah. <laughs> it's
1: got thumbnails and you can pick a topic or um. you can kind of stroll through the... new ones and, you know, grab a glass of wine (laughs) (laughs) and just, you know, um, enjoy the stories because Uh. they're just really enriched, you know, with audio and video and um, interactivity that lets you have that feeling to it. So that that's a great place for stuff. You know, I've got my work on my website at davisholland.com and um, I do a lot of work for the self-represented litigation network so we have a map gallery at srln.org. But just starting to know to look for those terms, you know, look if you if you don't think something exists, you'd be pleasantly surprised. You know, there's maps for selecting where you want to retire. There's there's maps that judge the school districts. That I mean, there's kind of maps for all ages. It's not just physical things. So, you know, just try googling it and see if you can hit on the sweet spot and and add map or story map, um, and whatever kind of descriptive characteristic you're looking at, and you can,
0: you know, find amazing resources. Uh-huh. So it's not even build it and they will come, but it's probably built. And we we should go. Is yeah, it? <laughs> it's
1: amazing. I'm always telling people, you know, there's there's tons of data out there and it's about cultural and behavioral and really interesting stuff. Um, there's a place called data.gov that has a lot of the data, too. And the Census Bureau has their own map tools gallery that lets you just kind of learn about your your neighborhood. And they started to do something at Esri um, called Business Analyst or Community Analyst now. where you can, when I go on vacation, I'll I'll download their BAO app. It's like Business Analyst Online mm-hmm. app, and you'll learn about what's the most what's the pop, most popular restaurant that someone goes to. How much money do they save for vacations? Mm-hmm. Um, what is the average? You know, what are the common app? Op- occupations and what people do for fun i mean it's all sorts of like rich behavioral some mm-hmm. of them are more consumer related because mm-hmm. it's a business focused but it's you know really interesting stuff it's not just maybe what people would think were more
0: dry demographics it's really you it's know it's just like not your grandfather's math exactly <laughs> i like it, <laughs> I like it. Oh, that's wonderful okay so we're running out of time but okay. Uh, you came for an analogy here in the big jar of okay. one of the analogies? Okay. So reach in, pull out a slip, and I'll take one. I'll take one for the audience. We're going to make an analogy to curiosity with whatever is on our slip of paper. You want to go first or you want me to go? I want you to go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Um, I have hunger. How is curiosity like hunger? Well, that feels like um, a good one because – I think um, both of them are an expression of um, an appetite and a craving and a desire to ingest things that will nourish us. So that's ah, how curiosity that's is like hunger.
1: Well, I had a super easy one on a literal level. I got basketball, and I'm thinking globe uh, or earth or planet. Uh, and it makes me think of how, nice. you know, lines of longitude and latitude on that basketball and how we, you know, try to get the sphere to a flat projection. Um, but I also think of like the nuances of basketball and, you know, um, how it isn't much of a dance and how it's a dialogue and, you know, they're talking smack. And, (laughs) And they're getting their goals in and all that stuff. Um, And that makes me think about mapping and data visualization and story maps all being a bit of a dance with the audience and trying to, you know, dole out information a bit at a time to get your message across. Uh And pique
0: that curiosity. Very nice. I like it. And for our audience, Uh, Yours is Lunchbox. How is curiosity like a lunchbox? Let us know. Facebook, Twitter, hashtag analogy. Well, Allison, thank you so much for this. This Oh, thank you so much.
1: I really enjoyed all the questions, and and I think I'm going to have to get a bumper sticker that says, Not
0: Your Grandfather's Maps. (laughs) 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 I love it. You've been listening to WERA 96.7 FM. If you joined us late or want to catch up with this or any of the other great shows here on Radio Arlington, check us out online and on demand at WERA.FM. You can hear all my previous shows on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Mixcloud, SoundCloud, and Facebook, all at Choose to be Curious, and on my website at choosetobecurious.com. I hope you'll follow me there and on Twitter at choose number two, letter B, curious. Don't forget to send us your Lunchbox Analogy, hashtag analogy. Special thanks to my guest, Allison Davis-Holland. You can check out her website at davisholland.com or on my website and lots of cool links on Facebook. Our theme music is by Sean Ballack. Research and other support from our intern, Carolyn Kish. I hope you'll join us again next time. And until then, choose to be curious. Funding for Choose to be Curious on WERA 96.7 FM is provided in part by the Center for Parents and Teens where families are strengthened through a connection built through positive communication, mutual understanding, and realistic expectations of one another. For more information, visit www.centerforparentsandteens.com. Choose to be Curious is sponsored in part by realtor Christine Hopkins. Curious about real estate? Christine works with clients from around the world using her time and knowledge to build community. As she likes to say, community engagement has always been my big why. Working in real estate has helped me express that. What makes you part of a community more than living there? For more information, visit facebook.com slash Nova House Hunter.